You know what time it is and you already know the deal. This is The Real For Real with Kevin, Trevor, and Isaiah. Bringing the realest, most in-depth perspectives on the film industry. So get ready, get set, and let's get into the show. Hey, what's up everyone? Thanks for tuning in to The Real For Real. So today it's just the two amigos. Unfortunately, Isaiah couldn't make it, but that's okay. No need to fear. Today we got a second time special guest with us. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, D-Movie Man is here. No need to fear. He's going to go ahead and pull Isaiah's weight today. What's up, yeah. brother? How you doing? Welcome back. Hey, so, so, so excited to be here. Um, it was it was quite the experience, all positive, of course, to be here last time. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to come back. And I was definitely not expecting it to be for this film, but I'm even <laughs> more excited <laughs> because it was such an unexpected surprise. So, yes, very, very excited. <laughs> there see, we go. See, uh, two things. One, after your episode uh, came on last time, the folks that that talked to me at least about the podcast, they all mentioned they were like, they, I mean, they loved you, man. They were saying, man, that should be that should be one of y'all's new permanent hosts. And I'm just all like, I mean, as I was listening through uh, when I was editing, I was like, man, you got some great things to say. I got to step my game up. So, uh, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, people were telling me the same thing. I'm like, yeah. hey, y'all better not be trying to insinuate nothing. Like somebody needs to be replaced or nothing like that. Yeah, but yeah, no, that's. Uh, <laughs> Now you did, did your thing, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I told him to check out your channel if you like what he had to say, because he got plenty more great yeah. stuff there. So, yeah, yeah, man. Hopefully, hopefully those subs went up a little bit, man. So, <laughs> uh, listen, listen, you guys. There's like, I, I'm, I'm happy to be here, but there's no need to gas me up, okay? Like, <laughs> there, there's no need to just kind of like, you know, blow smoke and all that. I mean, it's, it's fine. I promise, I'll come back. Like, you know, like come on, let's not overdo it here. Oh, okay, <laughs> don't all overdo right. it. <laughs> Uh, so today we're going to talk about Babylon, written and directed by Damien Chazelle. And look, I know some of you listeners out here, you are surprised that we aren't reviewing anything new this week. But this is kind of one of those films that lingered around for a little while as a point of discussion for us. And we've been meaning to get to this, but there were just so many other releases. Uh, we didn't get a chance to see it. I actually just saw it last week for the first time. Trevor, I believe you saw it last week as well. So this one just has kind of been sitting there for a little while. I'm like, we got to get to this at some point because there's been so much talk about this. It was Oscar nominated and it, people are calling this, a, I guess, a, a messy masterpiece. So I'm like, you know what? I got to see what they're talking about. And the movie, man, you actually expressed to me that you wanted some things. You had to get some things off your chest with this film. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, you've got to get on and talk about this, man. So, so let's do it. Let's do it. But first, I want to introduce the film, kind of get into it a little bit. But we got writer and director Damien Chazelle. Uh, this is actually his follow-up from La La Land, which received a lot of praise. And he directed First Man, but he didn't do the screenplay for that movie. So we're, here we have Babylon that takes place in this old Hollywood where apparently it was an insane amount of drugs, orgies, more drugs, and more orgies. So <laughs> basically the plot for the people who don't know, if you haven't heard this movie before, I'll just say the story follows decadence and outrageous excess lead to the rise and fall of several ambitious dreamers in 1920s Hollywood as the industry begins to transition from silent films to the world of sound films. So that's what the movie's about. And yeah, if y'all don't know how we do, if you're listening for the first time, you know, we usually start off on positives and negatives. But D, I got to know, man, you're out of theater or should I say out of streaming what were your out of streaming thoughts? I don't know which way you saw this movie. So let me know which did you go to the movies or did you catch the streaming? Which one did you do? 
No, I actually did want to catch this one at the theater, but it's just there are certain films that just keep escaping you. And I felt like the more I tried to watch, the more difficult it was to see it. So it actually worked out to where I was able to watch it on Paramount, which actually okay. worked out perfectly because it was just the perfect setup. And I was able to kind of hop in, hop out when I needed to and, mm -hmm. you know, just have the entire experience. So. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was definitely my uh, my personal experience with it. It would have been nice just to get the full scope, you know, in the theater on the big screen. But I don't think it was necessarily diminished uh, as far as what I was expecting from it. Yeah. It, it, when I think about my like just like, you know, the cut to black, it's all over. I'm I want to say I'm on the fence, but I'm slightly leaning more positive. And that is because this is the type of film that has many aspects that I appreciate. Now, the last time I was here, I mentioned that one of my favorite films, one of my favorite all-time films um, is Titanic, directed by James Cameron. And mm -hmm. I said that that film really changed the game for me as far as how I saw filmmaking, uh, how I saw period pieces, how I saw history. and you know, just like really doing a deep dive into like all these aspects of the past that you don't necessarily think about or consider. And I, I think that ultimately for me is where Babylon truly succeeds because I loved seeing this exploration of the 1920s, of seeing how crazy, chaotic and massive and just like the the scale of filmmaking and, and the chaos and, and really the the lack of structure in some ways how uh we would just have these extras and people we would just pick up and then th what we would do with with the reels and the directors and like how this massive you know this chaotic you know situation that's going on and we're having to capture that on camera and and in a time where it's really not even close to being what it would become in the future so I think that looking at that and looking at, you know, the, you know, the politics of the time, looking at, you know, the early days of Hollywood, this is long before, like, really the studio, the rise of the studios and the studio system of the Hayes Code of so much historically that's related to film. And so I loved being able to see the slow emergence of that, especially with the shift from you know, silent film to talkies. That was one thing I really loved in Singing Singing in the Rain. That's mm. one of my, another all-time favorite film of mine. And Great movie, yeah. Yeah, great. And one of my favorite parts of that film, because I had never seen that dynamic explored, is, okay, now that we're having this shift, like this total, like this total revolution for the film industry, you know, now how are we dealing with that? How are we adjusting? And I think that the I think it's a really cool uh, parallel between how Singing in the Rain handles that, and then of course how Babylon handles it. It's more of a dark side, but I think I think ultimately overall that is where the film really brings it home, and that's when I was really mesmerized. Like I was like totally invested. I was like I was just like give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. Like I'm loving this. Now oh, well, it gave you three hours of it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, plenty of time to sit with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll just say where it goes awry, though, uh, because I do agree with the messy part, 
I understand what people mean when it comes to the aspects of what would make this a masterpiece. Because I do see like when it hits, it really hits. Yeah. But when it doesn't mm -hmm. hit, it doesn't hit. And I just feel like in between these moments of brilliance, there's this really unwieldy, chaotic uh, sense of over-the-top shock value that the film was relying on, and I didn't mm -hmm. care for that. Now, I understand the piece about ex you know, excess and you know the dark side of Hollywood, and I think all that is true, and I get playing into that and kind of exposing that, but there's a way to do that, and there are a lot of moments when I was watching this where I was just like, oh, my gosh, why? Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> right there with you. I'm right yeah. there with you. So, so yeah, so I would say, like, a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, so kind of so more so in the middle, but there are a lot more things I appreciated than I disliked. But when I really disliked it, I really disliked it. <laughs> Did you watch this all in one sitting, or, like, what were your thoughts? Did you have to take a break or anything? Yeah, so I watched it all in one sitting, and um, much like Dee just stated, there were some really, really brilliant moments. And and just so everybody knows, I'm someone who usually doesn't care for movies that are about Hollywood and filmmaking. And um, mm -hmm. but surprisingly, I did find this whole um, this whole transition from silent movies to uh, movies with sound. I I felt that part compelling. Yes, as as you know, a changing of guard and. Uh, um, overall bigger picture on what movies will become. I, I really did actually enjoy that aspect. But like he said, when they were getting down in the gutters, it was grotesque. It was, it was, it was, it was too much. It was, it was too much. There was just times where it was overwhelming. And I don't think that this movie really needed that. I thought that there were a lot of characters that were interesting enough. They did a great job with the period, uh, the period piece aspect of it. Like the music was great. Uh, Horowitz is always making great uh, uh, music to go along with uh, uh, Damien's movies. So, you know, it was just, yeah, it's, it leaves up, you, you finish and you're like, man, this was great. But I don't know. Oh, there you go. It's like going to a great restaurant that has fantastic food, but the service was bad. You know, you want to enjoy what you just did, but <laughs> you just got a bad taste in your oh, mouth. Oh, there we go. Oh man! Oh, that's how you felt. Okay, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Trev. Um, so I don't know. This movie to me kind of seems to draw from the approaches of Wolf of Wall Street meets Boogie Nights. That I didn't really. I, I don't really see myself revisiting this too often. And I think Giselle took some extreme approaches in a couple of scenes throughout the film, especially the first twenty minutes. And it seems <laughs> the first half of the film, he tries to paint this, you know, iconic classic yes. film to break that Hollywood was. Class and the silent era. Instead, instead, these were dirty, filthy people. Right now, I think this thesis statement he was going for would have worked if he didn't completely switch gears halfway through the movie, take the focus away from the crazy part here, and then transition into the silent era to sound. That transition just wasn't that smooth to me, and that that's the way I felt about the film. So, okay, but let's go ahead and transition to positives because there's plenty of you know, yeah, good things to say about this film. So D, why don't you go ahead and start us off, man? Yes. So to start off, like I said, I, what I love about period pieces, what I really, really love about period pieces is that they are a vehicle or a time machine of sorts into the past. And so I love the fact that I can learn something, see something, 
like really immerse myself in, a, in an experience that reflects a time and a space that does not exist anymore. And so in this case, you know, we're talking about the 1920s, we're talking about filmmaking, we're the early onset of Hollywood and actors and how all those things function together. So I really, I don't know, like there was something very compelling about just seeing the just how like bare bones and makeshift everything is. It's kind of like we're just really kind of flying by the seat of our pants. There's not a there's structure, but not really. We're just kind of figuring this out as we go along. And you know, if people accidentally die or you know something goes awry, then you know we just have to roll with it and keep on going. So uh, there was something really interesting about that because I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it approached from that vantage point before. So that was already the first like, oh, wow. And then I liked the fact that we were seeing it through the eyes of these various people because, you know, Hollywood, it, what's interesting about like old school Hollywood, especially is just seeing it through the eyes of certain uh, public figures or celebrities, actors, uh, you know, gossip columnists, like all these various people in this industry that made up this world. And I thought it was such an interesting way of of navigating uh, this particular world by seeing it through the eyes of these various people. Now, also, I think there are also some issues with that piece, but I think structurally, I thought that was really, really interesting. And I liked just just the progression of that and also seeing, you know, kind of what Hollywood represents, what it should mean for people, you know, opportunities and you know, you know, building a brand and becoming an icon and becoming acting, acting legends and, you know, just really building, making your way into this industry and hoping that it will lead to something uh, beneficial and, and, you know, just something really great. And also seeing how that can easily go awry, because if we're going to be very honest, Hollywood, even today, if, you know, like it is uh, chewed and spit up, you know, plenty of people like chew them and spat them right back out. You don't know where they are, <laughs> haven't heard anything else about them. And that speaks again to the machine. So I thought just approaching all of that within this story, that was the part that really like kept, kept me truly invested the entire time. There you go. Nice. What about you, Trevor? I actually really enjoyed <clears throat> uh, everybody in the cast. I enjoyed the performance, but really, I thought Diego uh, Calva, the guy who played Manny Torres, I really thought he yeah. he yes. really stood out. And to me, I thought that you know he he was the the star. I know that's hard to say when you got both Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie in there, but mm -hmm. you know uh, Diego was great. Starting from that um, the the eager, uh, I just want to be here in Hollywood and 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 just you know get to work here and all that stuff. So eager yes. to do any job, and as he transitions into the the uh, the successful executive and you know it, i just thought he did uh, a great job so yes there you go i actually wanted nice. to spend more time with him and kind of seeing things through his lens right yeah and, and, i agree and, and less less of brad pitt and <laughs> just less of brad pitt actually not not because brad did anything wrong but i just thought that manny's story was more interesting i thought that more compelling uh, yeah. yeah more compelling I thought that uh, the dude that played Sidney Palmer, I thought that was more compelling, but yes. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah, what about no, you, Kev? I, what, what, no, what? I'll pick it back on, on that because the characters, for me, that's what did it for me with this movie. I thought they were enjoyable. I found them entertaining, specifically Margot Robbie. She killed it. She nails it. 
I loved her as Nellie, a young star who's basically willing to do anything uh, to become the talk of Hollywood and becomes the talk of Hollywood. And then Brad Pitt is Conrad. He has like this turbulent love life, drinks like a sailor, just a straight up alcoholic. But he was funny as hell, man. And he was good in this movie. And then, like you said, Diego Calva as Manny. I thought he had the best character arc in this entire story. So he yes. did really good. Uh, he's I, I love the arc of him being, you know, somebody who's, you know, an elephant handler all the way to an aspiring executive. So they really did his story well. Um, and there's a couple other characters. Like you said, Sydney really enjoyed that character. I like how he works as, you know, being a jazz player kind of in the background. And um, he tells Manny, he says, hey, if you want my opinion, the camera's pointed at the wrong people. <laughs> it needs to be pointed at us. That was like what changed everything and really got the, you know, them being the forefront as far as the musicals go. And uh, so I really, I really enjoyed the characters, man. Liked it a lot. So, D, I know you got more, man. Go ahead and hit us with some. Yes. I, I agree definitely with the performances and I like, and especially with, with what you guys said about Diego Calva, I love seeing newcomers to the screen. I mean, you know, I, you know, we, we, I can appreciate the tried and true stars, but I always love seeing a newcomer uh, hit the scene and just really shine. So I thought um, he, his performance as Manny was also really, really solid. I also have to give it to Jean Smart. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of hers for a long time, uh, since I was very young, oh, yes. uh, designing women and then bringing down the house. And, you know, um, and I especially love her on Hacks on HBO. That is a great show and her performance is great. Yeah, yeah. That was actually one of my favorite um, on my ranking. I, it was yes. one of my favorite shows of 2021. And then the second season also made it on uh, my list for um, 2022. I want to say it might have been one of my honorable mentions. But yeah, really, really solid show. And she's great. And I really, and maybe this just speaks to the writing and at least this for this, this specific scene, I really enjoyed the scene because her character, Eleanor St. John, is speaking to Brad Pitt's character, Jack Conrad, about, you know, his career and what his, you know, basically like what his experience is going to be going forward. Because the thing is, what I also liked about seeing as far as the transition from silent film to talkies is that, you know, in real life, and they kind of depict some of that here, some people could not survive that transition. You know, what may yeah. work in one medium does not necessarily work in another. And you may have the look, but then and people might find you attractive and just, you know, they, you know, they may swoon when they see, but when they hear your voice and it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not going to work. And so that's the end of your career right there. And so I, I love that was because I feel like Eleanor St. John throughout the film is kind of a, you know, not a silent observer, you know, not a silent observer, but she's just kind of on the sidelines. We, we only see yeah. so much of her. We only hear from so much of her. And so there's a scene where she speaks to Jack and, you know, he's kind of dealing with the reality of where his his career is is headed at this point and the fact that he won't be you know at the forefront anymore he won't be this this household name he won't be the staple anymore and so eleanor is just basically telling him like you know they're like film like these films like this world like you and all of this like 
there will be a hundred more Jack Conrads. There will be a hundred more me's. There will be a hundred more conversations just like this and over and over again, because all this is bigger than you. And she's basically telling like, look, and I know it hurts, you know, no one wants to be left behind. But then she also says that in a hundred years, when you and I are long gone, anytime, you know, you know, pulls that frame out, whenever these films come to life again, it's like, you'll be alive again. You know, it's like every person and every, and all those films will no longer be here. And yet something about the spirit of those films or everything that went into it, the people on the screen, like those things will live on. Like people 50 years from now, they will see your image and feel like they know you, they will connect to you, they will love you. Like, you know, so in a way it's, it is a gift, you know, but it's also a tragic gift, but it's like, you'll, you'll always live on and your eternity is cemented through this medium and through these images. And that, <laughs> that like blew me away because I think that to me personally, that is the power of cinema, of yes. film and filmmaking mm -hmm. and the movies. And I know for a lot of folks, it's just entertainment. So I get, you know, you watch something and then you move on, but I've made it very clear, even in my reviews, you know, I take a, a personal, you know, in-depth look a lot of times because I recognize that, you know, when I when I think about a lot of films, there are so many people, uh, there are so many people and places and, and images and memories that are attached to it. It's not just about the films themselves, but all the things that were happening while I was watching it or before I watched it or afterwards. You know, I want to kind of go back to Sydney's character because I felt like he had one of the more compelling scenes in this movie for me. Uh, and I want to point out, y'all probably know what y'all already know what I'm going to say. Uh, it's when Manny comes up to Sydney and the executives tell Manny, look, his skin is too light. You're going to have to tell him to put this black face on and he's going to have to make himself darker because he needs to fit in with everybody else mm -hmm. in this musical. And so he comes up to uh, Manny and he kind of has a, a asshole moment, man, because it's like, whoa, hold on now. He hits him with the look, if you don't do this, <laughs> the people in this band are not going to get paid. Uh, you want them to get paid, right? You want them to be able to feed their families, right? If you don't do this, they're not going to be able to. And I was like, whoa, hold on now. It's like Manny's character took a dark turn <laughs> because he knows how degrading that is. And in that scene, you feel like the tension, the embarrassment, the emotion. And especially when he starts playing, it's like, oh, man. And I do like the fact that Sidney ended up quitting Hollywood before he ultimately becomes a sellout or, quote unquote, selling his soul to Hollywood. Yeah. So I thought that was one of the few pieces that tied in well to this film that I thought was uh, a little overstuffed, you know. <laughs> but I will yeah. say, though. And it's surprisingly, surprisingly. I think that's a scene that a lot of people can definitely overdo or uh, yeah, oh, overdo. Yeah. yeah, if y'all get what I mean. Yeah. But surprisingly yeah. and then, so when I when they were going that way and I saw the the you know the the um canister, I was just like, Oh no, I th this might be the point where I gotta turn this off. But mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they did not. It, they 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 did it right. So I was like, okay, No, it was right. no, it was done right. It was done right. And um Man, I, I like one thing I like about this film. I do like that this film challenges older generations because I think each generation in our lifetime tends to kind of scrub the negativity of their era 
and glamorize yeah. it a little bit more than it really is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> when you listen to that older generation talk, you like, boy, y'all came from some wild times. That's what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> so I do like that it was captured on screen here, whether it was heightened a little bit to extreme levels or not. Uh, that it seems that this film was playing to playing a little bit more accurately to how the 20s probably was. The parties were extravagant. The sets shooting films were damn near death traps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, oh the, <laughs> the stars and starlets were were made broken and tossed to the side when a new star emerges. Kind of like what you were talking about, D. Like mm-hmm. you see all that here. Like it's it's in this film. So uh, I just like that this movie was bold. It wasn't afraid to take things there. Um, even though like that, it, it's kind of a movie that doesn't really interest me as far as how films were being done. They do it in an entertaining way that. You're like, okay, you know what? This is this is actually cool. Like, it's entertaining enough to get through. I had plenty of laughs, and so it's cool. Um, and I actually will say, I don't know if y'all have a favorite scene, but I am going to ask y'all y'all's favorite scene. But I'll just say my favorite scene in this entire movie, <laughs> and y'all probably know when they have to keep reshooting that scene on set. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's when <laughs> when Nelly's messing up on where to stand. <laughs> Uh, and talk next to the X on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's either someone's opening a door from the outside. There's either background no- noise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a freaking guy in this box that's overheated and dies on the set. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's so chaotic and everybody's losing it. And yeah, uh, it's, it shows you, man, just how dangerous it was to perform and, and, and film this stuff. So I, I thought that was, that was definitely my favorite scene. D, do you have a favorite scene? So... Ooh. Okay. So I think my favorite scene, because I guess it's it's kind of a whole sequence as well, but actually, if I just had to kind of isolate it, I think when uh, Manny arrives on the uh, exterior set and we get that massive, like extended kind of long take of the camera following the set and we see like how all these different films and all these different sets are like stacked one on top of the other, like right adjacent to each other. And all these things are like going on at the exact same time. And like that to me was just like, wow. I mean, it was like, it was funny. It was chaotic. It was crazy. It was, you know, it was, it was so many things. It was overwhelming to see, especially, but man, it just was something about that. And then of course, that's when we, get into the whole filmmaking sequence and we see how, you know, it's basically reckless abandon going on out there. But just that first initial thought where it just kind of like goes around and it kind of just, it literally just captures that entire moment from beginning, you know, from, you know, kind of circles back around to the beginning and we see all of that, that really uh, got me. And then of course, from that point to where we finally get the, the key shot after all that, Manny has to go through to land it and it comes together and everyone's just like, oh, yes, we've we've done it. We've accomplished it. So, yeah, it was something very uh, rewarding about the way that entire sequence played out. I agree. No, that, that's really cool. Trev, do you have a particular scene that was your favorite? Yeah, I mean, um, both of those scenes uh, that Dee mentioned previously, the one with uh, Gene Smart and Brad Pitt having their conversation just because that yeah. I think really um, nails the 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 whole point of the movie or mm-hmm. the biggest theme that they want us to walk away with. Right. And then again, that whole scene he just mentioned about all the chaos 
yes, <laughs> well, uh, yes. with everything on that day. Hell, even Manny shows up and they're all like, yeah, Manny, uh, we need you to go break this strike. And then so they 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 show us him trying to negotiate with the people and then he takes a prop gun <laughs> or hell yeah. back then it might have been a real gun, I guess. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and then so, you know, he, he's literally, um, you know, uh, hurting, hurting the, the 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 extras. And so um, all that to say a very long way of saying those were my two favorite scenes. That's what's uh, up. Yeah. So, I guess actually, um, no, you know, I take that back. I, I, I do remember a scene that tops all that. It was the scene where. um. Uh, they go down into the with the gangster that's Ooh, played by yeah. um uh oh, well gosh Toby Maguire blanking on his name Toby Maguire mm. <laughs> it's oh, always because you know Toby Maguire you know he has that you know that's part of the reason why he got Spider Man right he has that boyish look mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. they got him to play the grimiest and that's another thing I appreciate about this movie because it was the twenties and not everybody was just looking fly and popping and and looking clean you know so I really enjoyed that in this movie. The stars were the ones who were popping, and then like the regular folk, they were grimy. Mm-hmm. And so you like Peter Parker's? Uh, I was trying to figure out like did, did he take some Green Goblin serum or something? Why is it like that? It looked crazy. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? This well, is I the mean, Joker we didn't know that we could have. Right? I here. mean, wh- what did I forget? What did he offer them? He offered them uh, a liquor that was mixed with ether. Yeah. So I mean, if y'all drink, that's what y'all are drinking. Uh, yeah, that's what you're gonna look like. <laughs> Right. That's crazy, man. Yeah, he he looked he looked a hot mess. He he nailed like that, he was, I thought it was cool. He did offer them fresh green juice. <laughs> there we go. Oh man. Well, I mean, is there anything else y'all like about this movie? I, anything I touched, else? Anything else? That yeah, yeah. I mean, I touched on it uh, a little bit of my initial thoughts, but I, the the music was fantastic. Oh yeah. Uh, oh absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'll leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, Voodoo Mama is a great <laughs> track. Again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, one thing I actually love is that as a result of this, I've been seeing it kind of became this, not even, I don't even want to say a challenge because I think people just ended up doing it. But, you know, there is a sequence at the end of the film that kind of shows the progression of, of you know, a film from that point on. And I think that mm. people have been basically like if, if, with their different YouTube channels, uh, with their various YouTube channels, they've basically been doing their own version of it. So you see all these mm-hmm. various shots from all these different movies that have, you know, shaped them personally. And yeah. just and then it kind of goes from there. So I actually thought that was really cool. Uh, and even just how it how that moment connects to the people in the theater all individually experiencing what's happening on screen and how they all you know, are connecting, they feel a part of this, you know, this uh, kind of a sense of community, but just like connecting to the experience of this in the theater at that moment. So I thought that was a really interesting and cool way to close that out. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to add a a little new segment here. Uh, D welcome to this with this uh, being the first time we're doing this. But uh, I thought, you know let, what? Let it be known. I have I have no clue what he's talking about or where he's going, D. So <laughs> we both about to see. <laughs> right. Well, Go I ahead, was Ken. like, you know what? I mean, in our podcast, you know, Isaiah is usually the uh, the deep philosophical person. And I was like, you know what? Because I went back and I listened to our John Wick episode. I was like, dang, bro. Like, you're talking about something that was pretty deep there. Because, you know, when we watch John Wick, we just look for the action. But, you know, he was going deep with that on something. So I was like, you know what? We need to have a... Hits blunt moment. That was deep. 
So, oh, so <laughs> all right. Well, we can will we continue this segment? Who knows? But the way Isaiah is, and I was like, this is a perfect time to do it while D's here because you know he's deep, reflective, and all that too. So I'm like, let's do it now. <laughs> but we could, I was we could thinking, workshop that name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're on like his blunt moment. You're like, okay, no, yeah, coworkers no. probably listening, huh? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, but um. No, I was thinking about towards the end of the movie when Conrad's, uh, the way Conrad's suicide was set up, um, the way that was done, he talks to the bellboy while tipping him and he asks him, you know, what's the highest amount that you've ever been tipped? And the bellboy reveals, Conrad, you know, you tip me the most. Then Conrad goes upstairs, he offs himself. And to me, that was a one of the deeper moments in the film. Because it shows you that he finally has accepted that his career was over, right? He lost his best friend due to suicide. And then the end, who does he really have? Every marriage he had was destroyed. So I thought that was, how did, how did y'all feel about that scene and just the way that was all set up? So I thought that was one of the deeper moments in the film that kind of tied in, you know, what happens to big time stars when they lose when, they, when they're old now like they're old nobody really cares they give you crappy films now your, your time is done and it's a hard time accepting it what y'all think about that i did think it was a deep moment um i didn't i didn't i i really thought just the way that um his character was set up i really didn't think um that was going to be his solution i really thought that he was going to learn to adapt and um I, I, I didn't think he was going to lose that battle. So that's what I, was, I didn't see it coming. That's why yeah. I was like, "Oh snap!" Now from now from a from a movie standpoint, I really did like that shot of like you know we follow him up the stairs, and yes. then you know he goes into the room, but we don't follow in, and he closes the door, but then the door bounces just a little yes. bit, just enough for us to see it, and then uh-huh. so I, I, I movie making wise, I really thought that was a really good shot and everything. Yeah, it was a good uh, shot, right? I, exactly. I, I really like not going into the room for that, so. Yeah, yeah, same. D, did you want to add on anything to that, or yeah, think that was deep. Yeah, it's like it's in a way I didn't see it coming, but then at one point I kind of did, especially after he had, you know, after he has that conversation with Eleanor. It, I think, I think it's one of those things where I, I appreciate how they ex- explore not just in that moment, but that is one moment where they explore the impact of fame. And how it can uh, it can often handicap people because when you become accustomed to being on top of the world, and then yes. one talkie, you know, in this case, like one project, one film, one thing just brings it all crashing down, and now you are no longer, you know, you're basically a shadow <laughs> of yourself. Uh, You think about what that does to a person uh, mentally and emotionally. And I even think about and this is the I'm saying this because this is the first time I ever looked at, you know, an artist or someone being on the stage or in the industry and understanding what that mindset, you know, would look like in a deeper way. But why do fools fall in love? Frankie Lyman. There, oh, I love that movie. Yes, yeah. I do too. And there's a point where Zola realizes, and she's saying when she's giving her testimony in the court, she realized that basically there was this high that Frankie would get from being on stage, from being loved, from being adored, from being cheered on to like to be beloved, you know, kind of just beloved mm-hmm. and adored in that way. And it was also significant because his own life 
you know, his upbringing, all that, none of that reflected that. So it was like the world was kind of showing him love that he had never really experienced. So then, yes. you know, that was his high. But then, you know, as, you know, the industry changes and careers, you know, start to fluctuate and not go the way you think, then she's like, she realized that he, when he couldn't find that high, he had to find it elsewhere. And that was his yep. undoing. So I think it's kind of the same thing. It's like you, who wants to, even in real life, I mean, we're not actors and we're not like, you know, high profile people, but no one, even in, in a sense of community or day-to-day -day life, no one wants to be discarded or brushed yes. aside or felt like, okay, we're good. Thanks so much. So I think that it's, it's a, it's a real feeling. And, and just because someone has money and is this star and, and, you know, I think people really do think that that is the solution. You have the fame, you have the money, you have all this, but like, it, it doesn't change what goes in internally and how that can really destroy a person from the inside out. So when I thought about it from that perspective, I was like, well, you know, I, you kind of, you, even though it's sad, you get the outcome to some extent that would be a solution only because earlier in the movie you know they'd established that you know he called that other actress that they were like oh she wants too much money and all that stuff and he kind of played he did he played her into agreeing to doing the movie you know he was constantly reviewing the movie with the directors and all that stuff so i thought I, we were going to see him transition into kind of a behind the camera kind of role right but it went out sad yeah <laughs> and i mean they did do him wrong when they called him he was uh, and he and he told his buddy like you know just tell me the truth is it a shit movie and am i saving <laughs> yeah. and am i saving your ass mm -hmm. and then whenever he's on set he went from being the dude that everybody's waiting for to you know the new young star gets his uh he gets his notes and then they just tell him hey can you go again you good to go again all right cool no yep. notes nothing they don't ain't nobody looking at you bro you just here <laughs> yeah so yeah that's crazy well, I don't know if y'all have anything else positive to say. If not, I was going to go ahead and transition into the negatives. I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, even though I like the characters, uh, the problem is the number of characters and how unbalanced I thought the narrative load in this movie was. Um, Conrad and Nellie's story, they're, the, they're opposites of each other, despite conveying a similar narrative in this movie. Mm -hmm. And then we focus on Manny's arc, but end up rushing through Sydney's story, the jazz music. That's what I was confused. Is he supposed? Is he a bigger character or not? Because there's so many different. He starts off like you said as a sideline character. Then they give him more. Then they show where he lives. Then they do. Then they, you know, the blackface stories. All this stuff yeah. going on, and then then it moves on. And then we have all these other characters who are interesting, <laughs> but between shifting from party to party in the movie, we lose the other people who represent how important the change of the times were. So I was just like, I thought they were just like, it was probably just too many characters here. And I was like, y'all should have focused on maybe two or three and then have everybody else's background and make this movie. Um, so that's how I felt about that. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I do have some other things, but y'all, y'all let me know if y'all have anything. I was going to say that was another issue for me. That's not the only issue, but that definitely was something I noticed because, and I'm not sure if it's one of those things where, because, well, I hope not, but it's almost, it almost felt like, you know, clearly, clearly uh, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie are the big stars of this. So I'm not sure if it was purposely written to, you know, showcase their characters more. 
And then, you know, and then we still got a good amount with Manny, but it was definitely, uh, un, you know, definitely was pretty imbalanced to me, especially with Sydney, because I kind of felt like for all intents and purposes, Sydney was kind of a non-factor. And yeah. I felt like there could have really been an opportunity to uh, ingratiate him into the film a lot more and into this story. And I mean, on, on one hand, it kind of makes sense if we look at, you know, the the dynamic of black actors in Hollywood. But, you know, if you are telling the story of how that is impacting all these people, then it doesn't really feel like he's a part of this the way he should be. And I agree that like if it, either we're going if we're going to do four, then give all four some decent level of screen time or if we're just doing two or if we're just doing three but yeah but it's, it was weird how it's like we would go away and then you know oh there's sydney and then we would go away and oh and there's sydney <laughs> so it, it was very disjointed the way they brought him in and out of the film yeah I just i thought that was very odd yes trevor what about you so um i touched on this in my initial thoughts but just the over the just the overboard moments on on the grotesqueness all the darker parts of the film like i mean the, the party <laughs> i mean i mean you asked us earlier what our favorite scenes are well my least favorite scene from this movie was whenever they're kind of they're trying to rebrand uh nelly and then so she goes to that party where beforehand they tell her you know speak french <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anytime you got something, in. and then so that, the way that party ends with her doing that, just over the top vomiting, it was just you know, <laughs> it was just over the top. There was nothing natural about that, and like, ugh, it was just, <laughs> I didn't like it. That's funny. I didn't like it at all. Well, I, 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 okay, okay. So I add on to that. So <laughs> the movie is supposed to be looked at as excess in this era, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Chazelle is using. I would say orgies of the senses here <laughs> by really? using these sweeping cameras, quick cuts, hundreds of extras, nice sound mix, plenty of vices that the characters deal with, drugs and all that. But with that being said, I think the direction was going for this fever dream, but comes off more as a nightmare for me because less than five minutes into the film, we get an elephant dropping feces on oh, someone. Oh, yeah, there's that. Oh, I forgot about that scene. Oh, that actually might be and my least then then five minutes later into the film, we have someone who gets peed on. Uh -huh. And so yeah. to me, this shows that we have a talented director who was given seven, $70 million to do whatever the hell he wanted to do. He had the creative freedom. And to me, he needed oversight on what needed to be cut and what possibly needed to be changed. Because you Ooh. can look at the budget of his previous films and see that the budgets were quite smaller. And this was his big payday. And he acted a fool with it. And this is oh, one of those gosh. times I feel like Paramount was should have been, you know, like like Rick James said, I should have never gave you niggas money. Like that was one like it was one of those kind of things. Like I'm like, all right, this was and I think what for me and don't don't get me wrong. I think that those things are entertaining. But the problem is it, it doesn't keep that throughout the entire film. You give us 20 minutes to keep us interested and and draw us into this craziness. And then the film switches gears. So, yeah, like, for me, <laughs> like, what made Wolf of Wall Street a masterpiece is that Scorsese took Jordan Belfort's story, showed the madness and the excess, and literally kept that same momentum for three freaking hours. The pacing never slowed down, and it was a singular focus on Jordan Belfort, it, which is why he was able to pull that off. <laughs> so here, it's just 
I think Damien just got lost in the weeds in this one. Because it's like, it's because you're asking a question. It's like, okay, is this an expose of the dirty Hollywood 1920s? Well, yeah, it could be, but it doesn't stay there for long. Is this an historical count from the transition of silent films to sound? Or is this a character study? Which one, like, it's all these different things. And it's like, damn, dog, which one is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that you, he, I think he makes his point about excess without all those other scenes, just just gliding through the party. Yeah. Health. Having ju- just having an elephant at a party, yes. like we can already see that this is a time of excess. I didn't need to see a dude get pissed on. <laughs> I didn't need to see uh, uh, an elephant defecate. I didn't need well, to it's, see it's the, shock. They want the, the vomit. Shock value. The shock value. But I don't know. It's just <laughs> it's a shock value, but I don't think that it's it's not necessary. That's not what we come to expect from Damien Chazelle. At least I I don't. Oh no! I, I think this. You know, was it's way it, if, if, it made it it made it feel yeah. che- it made it feel cheap. I don't know. And and that's the thing. The things that you're saying make it feel cheap. Are the things I think people are loving about this because it was just so out there. But I'm I just mean, like, is have, it, how, many, how many people have y'all seen projectile vomit like that? Well, that's <laughs> like it's just like, what are we doing? This is what is, is this Monty Python? What what are we doing? <laughs> well, well, hell, talk about the snake scene. What was the purpose in that scene? <laughs> but no, Trip. how do we get to this snake scene? She gets this news about her dad, and then we also hear what? people talking bad about her. And, <laughs> then, think... and then, yes, the decision you decide to make? Well, I guess fighting snakes was the thing to do back then. Man, <laughs> every... like hell. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she said, let's go watch him fight a snake. And everybody was like, hell yeah. And I would, if I was there, I would have been like, what do y'all mean fight a snake? What? <laughs> well. Well, I couldn't quite make sense of that transition from her hearing people talk bad about her and her dad to yeah. saying at the pool party, "Hey, let's go! Y'all are yeah. too scared to do this. I'm let's 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 go do it." Like, I, what? B, can you make sense of that for yeah, us? Yeah, I missed it, so I don't know. I can't tell you. I, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, no, because I was just sitting there thinking, like, we could have cut this entire sequence, and I wouldn't have exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, it's, oh man, yeah, like it, just, it didn't uh, add it anything. You're exactly it right, just, right? It didn't, it did not add anything. It did not, no, yeah. So, okay, we already knew Faye was attracted to her from um, that pool, <laughs> the dancing, like you know, minutes before that. So, it, yeah, we didn't need that, you know, right, right, yes. And, bro, that, I'm I think sorry, I think movie... I interrupted you. What were you starting to say, D? Yeah, go ahead, D. No, no y'all are good. Uh, so, yeah, so I. <laughs> I am in total agreement. I am in total agreement with Trevor as far as my one of my least favorite scenes being the party and that whole sequence because uh, okay, my issue is and and I have a lot of issues with this throughout the film. I don't like like we here's the thing. We I can deal with showing things that are uncomfortable that are dark, that are disturbing, that are not, you know, light and fluffy and, you know, uh, hearts and uh, rainbows, clovers and balloons. Like, that is fine. Like, there is a dark side somewhere. And if we're talking about Hollywood, that is absolutely there. So that's not the issue. But like, I was literally, I was sitting there watching that, that scene with Nellie's character and just there, there's, it's, 
like uh, with these characters and with the dialogue and with the things that are happening, it is just like broad strokes. It's like no nuance. There's no mm -hmm. subtlety. There's none of that. Like we can't just have Nellie making this declaration of who she is and not fitting in. No, it has to be, I'm the degenerate effing animal. It's like, oh my yeah. gosh, like, why are we going through this? Like, yeah. I was like, yeah. I, mean, I was honestly embarrassed. And I feel like watching that, and like you said, then we're projectile vomiting. Like, that's something you would see in like some kind of, I don't know, National Lampoon film. Like, yeah, just yeah. right. Really, yeah. Harold and Kumar. Right, right. exactly. Right. Something really gross out and over the top, but that's not really the tone of this film. It's like, are we going to be like a, a kind of a, you know, and even the dark comedy aspect is fine, but if we're going to be a darker, you know, a kind of a darker expose on the film industry and Hollywood and all these, you know, darker, you know, secrets going on, then let's do that. And if you want to, you know, pepper in some funny stuff here, that's fine. But stuff like that, I mean, it just, it can, I mean, we're stuffing food, we're throwing stuff out. I was just like, I, I was so <laughs> lost. And, and the thing is, and I think what also made that frustrating is I think that Margot Robbie is talented, but I think yes. that I'm, I feel like, her taking on the I feel like her taking on the role of Harley Quinn has been a bit of a catch twenty two because now it feels like I'm starting to see shades of that in everything she does now. Uh -huh. And yeah. when I was watching this, I was just thinking like, so is this like Harley Quinn in the 1920s? Because that whole sequence <laughs> felt like like you know Harleen Quinzel ha having some kind of like one of her ancestors having a breakdown yes. back in the twenties. <laughs> yes, yes, and, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, the accent and all of it, and it's kind of the same with the other stuff. It's just like because to me, you kind of get the effect of the elephant going, you know, having to go up the hill. That's crazy enough. Do we need? Yeah. <laughs> do we need to see uh, like ma a massive elephant? mountain-sized pile of feces like and diarrhea like splashing across the screen i don't think so <laughs> yeah. i really don't no. uh yeah. and, yeah. and same the same thing with everything else i just i don't like if we're going to like if we're going to say something with you know like if we're going to use something that's shocking use it and let it have a purpose but when something has no purpose and we're doing it just for the sake of shock value that is always a huge pet peeve of mine and i really couldn't take it in this film I feel you 100 percent and yeah. I'll, I'll also add something like did, did we need to see the rat eating Oof. <laughs> well the, hell that whole no the entire Toby story <laughs> to begin with I don't get me wrong the the makeup and everything they did with his character was cool yeah. Toby Maguire as far as his acting it was cool but that entire story with them meeting him to begin with we didn't even really need any of that that was just entertainment. <laughs> That was to show you more of the, uh, I guess, dark underworld of the 20s. Yeah. Because yeah. when you go into his lair, you see this craziness again, more craziness. And I'm just like, all right, I mean, I get it. For, for entertainment factor, that works. But for the story, it does not work. <laughs> it, it, it just, I thought that was extra. And I think to me, what sinks this movie is the contradictions to the core. Because it seems Chazelle wants us to feel some sort of nostalgia for this era that no one alive on this planet even remembers, okay? <laughs> it's 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 something that 
you want us to feel nostalgia for this era that makes every every character in this movie miserable. <laughs> to me, that's a contradiction right there. And it's all wrapped up into this jaw-dropping sequences of events. And I, I'm just like, no, like I, I, I don't, it's not quite working. And then the end of it, D, I know you would you said that was one of the positives, that montage. The end of film that way, with Manny going there, then we see his montage. I thought that was a strange editorial choice. I didn't like that ending. I was like, what? This is what we're doing. So we're showing, okay, Matrix. Okay, this film. What, what, now, I was like, ah. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because no, no, no. What I, what I said is, and I was speaking to like the uh, the concept and the idea of showing uh, cinema movies oh, the forward concept, okay. and, and, you know, people's, you know, attachment as far, you know, people on YouTube kind of like then expressing their own love for film, like with that same music and that same, you know, their own, basically making their own personal sequences. And I thought it was yeah. cool to show like it, this particular film, not the, not the sequence, even before that, how this particular film is resonating with each individual person and everyone is just having this experience as a whole. And yeah, okay. so I thought yeah. that, and then Manny, you know, reflecting on like, this is us, this was our experience. This is, and then it connecting him back to that. And that's why I was saying about what Eleanor said. So it's like, we bring yeah. that full circle. I thought that was, you know, that was beautiful. Yeah. And that was very poignant, but yes, yeah. it then kind of like, it kind of veers off course when we start going into the Matrix and we go into Avatar. Like, I was like, wait a minute. What's going on here? That's, I was like, okay. That was, like I said, that editorial choice was was very strange to me. Um, and I think just the inability to focus, the tones were just, the, the tones were too conflicting here for me. It's like mm -hmm. two different movies. And instead of making two different movies, it's all edited to run together. That's how I felt about this movie overall. And I'm just like, mm. so this really didn't need to be three hours. <laughs> no, whoa, yeah, it definitely didn't need to be. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got two different movies going on here. And I'm and like, the, yeah. you would have Chazelle would have been better off making a story about Jack Conrad or Conrad. You would have been better off making his story and making a Margot's story and then doing another movie. <laughs> about the twenties in general and doing it that way. And you could have had two solid two hour movies that way. I just, I just thought it was way too much combined here for my taste. That's how I felt. All the uh, things that they were doing as far as the grotesque things that you were talking about, that didn't bother me as much, but I was just kind of like, mm, what's the point for what? Right. It's yeah. not that it, it's not that it grossed me out. It's just the fact that why? Yeah. What story are you trying to tell here? Are you doing shock value? Are you trying to entertain us? Are you trying to be serious? What are you trying to do? It's too many different tones here. Huh. That's, that, that's interesting that you say that, Kev, because I know it's premature of me because I haven't seen Terrifier 2, but you are always <laughs> caping for that movie. Oh. But from what I've heard, it <laughs> seems like they're just doing gross stuff in that movie just to do it. And that's and that's the thing. But that's that's 100 percent what the movie is. It's a straight up slasher. I was I went into this movie knowing it's a slasher. And I, OK, y'all want to be the grossest slasher of all time got you <laughs> so so you, <laughs> so you applaud those folks but then you want to chastise damien okay all right. <laughs> no i just say it's just too many things going on it's like what are you trying to what's the story here what are we doing because <laughs> i'm 
just saying. It's okay, okay. There's, so, there's a lot. You, there's like there's you, a lot of cool. You move it. You move in the goal line. Okay, the goal line. You move a different spot for different folks. I understand. Man, nah, man, nah. Heck no. You still got to watch Terrifier too, though. You got to watch that. Nah. Come on over. <laughs> Do you got anything else? Anything else that bother you? No, I think I got through the majority of it. I just think it's unfortunate because it's it's a wasted opportunity. Like you can see like the occasional moments of brilliance and where it really is like I don't know, like there is a compelling story here and there are like moments that are so like uniquely filmed and put together and it's not something I've seen before. And I appreciate the scale especially, but they take so many opportunities to make this such a like a a bloated, over-the-top, you know, kind of schlock fest that I think really detracts from the seriousness and the impact and the depth of what they're actually talking about. When they focus in on that stuff, it really shines. And when it doesn't, it's just like, you just really want to take a shower afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, D, is there anybody that this is based off of? Because when I look this up, I was like, okay, this is a fictional story. Takes place in the 20s. So Giselle obviously is is trying to make this as accurate for the time period as he could. But is this actually based off anybody at all or insinuated yes, in any kind of in way? Fact. Uh, you know me, I love uh, love a good old piece of history. So so I took some time really? to oh, just wow. look up and see like who it might be. And keep in mind, like I said, a lot of these characters still are like amalgamations. So there's like a piece here, a piece there. But, you know, there still is, there still is an overall inspiration at the same time. So with Nellie Leroy, it is Clara Bow. Oh, wow. Let me go ahead and take a note of that. Clara Bow. Okay. With Eleanor St. John, it is Eleanor Glenn. Hmm. Okay. With Manny Torres, it's Eddie Mannix. Wow. With Jack Conrad, it's John Gilbert. And with Lady Faye Zhu, it's uh, Anime Wong. Wow, wow. So you were able to pick up on some references here that the average viewer did not. Yeah, and there was actually one additional one, which, like, these weren't, like, main central characters, but there was even a reference to uh, an actual scandal that happened with uh, a silent comedian back in the day. His name was Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, and uh, there was a woman named Virginia Rapp, who died after a drunken party in a San Francisco hotel. Mm. Oh, snap. You know, he was there when that happened. He denied any wrongdoing. He was charged. He was tried three times, and he was finally acquitted in connection with her death. Of course. But yeah, but they kind of do their own spin on that, which I thought was really interesting. Did not realize that. I'm glad I went ahead and I took note of these names so I can go back and Look these people yeah, up, it, do my research. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have to look these people up. <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay. Unfortunately, I think Arbuckle was the only name that I think right, I've right. heard. But Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with any of these names. So I'm going to look them up, man. Now, thanks for highlighting that because that, that's that. Go from there. So appreciate that, brother. Yeah. Thank you. I mentioned earlier that Wolf of Wall Street and Boogie Nights seem like I got those kind of vibes a little bit. Have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? Because that's another movie that's excess. Did you were you grossed out by anything with that movie compared to here? Like, because that's shock value as well. 
but it's consistent all the way through three hours. How'd you feel about that day? Did you, is that masterpiece level to you or is that messy just like Babylon? Well, I think you, I think you're forgetting that we discussed this and I told you. Oh, you haven't seen it. Golly. (laughs) Dang. You and Trev. Yeah. He's setting us up, D. Don't worry. Don't Uh, worry. I'm going to cut this out. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But but I'm very familiar. (laughs) But I'm very familiar with the sequence where he sniffs Coke out of a certain orifice. So yes, yes, yes. Well, D, I set you up. There's a movie you hadn't seen because he <laughs> sent me, he had a list of like 20 movies I hadn't seen. I was like, damn it. I'm going to have to turn in my movie card. There's a movie he hadn't seen, ladies and gentlemen. I got him. Oh, yeah. You got me Yeah. Y'all see how Kev <laughs> operates. So y'all be careful. Yep. <laughs> well, if there's not any other negatives, D, go ahead and give us your score, man. If you want to do it out of 10, if you want to do a percentage. I did want to, I, I did want to ask y'all real quick, though, about, we first meet him oh. and he's passing out drugs on set. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then how and how's my boy man and I get Manny was desperate and I know that he was an executive and not in that life. But really the dude that's been walking around pretending to be a count is the one that you think <laughs> is gonna bail you out of this situation. You <laughs> an executive couldn't find eighty eight thousand dollars, but you're gonna trust that this dude did? Mm. <laughs> I don't know, Manny. That's on you to end up in that situation. And you you didn't ask beforehand. And you see what almost happened to him at the end. Well, shoot. D, go ahead and give us your score, man. How'd you feel? What what you you got? I would put this right at probably like a C plus or like a 77%. That's what's up. What about you, Trev? Yeah, I'm at right there. 78. Yep. And I'm 75%. And that's because this is because the filmmaking here is well done. Oh, yeah. And like I said, you have mm-hmm. Chazelle's style of his films. Like it's in here. Cinematography is off the chain and it's visually it's 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 there. So um, it's just it's just a lot. There's just too much yeah. going on. It's so. a lot. It's chaotic. <laughs> Very. But ladies and gentlemen, we may be off. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't know what we're talking about. Y'all let us know. Uh, check this out. And. You know, leave leave a comment, you know, um, send us a DM, let us know. And we appreciate y'all tuning in until next time. Thanks for joining us, D. Oh, always, always. Thanks oh, for having thanks, me. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Peace out. Later. See ya. This has been the Real for Real podcast with Kevin, Trevor, and Isaiah. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with the conversation by following us on our social media. On Instagram, you can find us at the real underscore for real. And on TikTok, you can find us at the real for real podcast. Be safe, be blessed, and we'll catch you next time.